Today's sermon scripture comes from the book of Acts, chapter 8, verses 1 through 8. This is the New International Version of the Bible. And Saul approved of their killing him. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. But Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Messiah there. When the crowds heard Philip and saw the signs he performed, they all paid close attention to what he said. For with shrieks, impure spirits came out of many, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was great joy in that city. Thank you, thank you for reading that scripture. And again, that was Acts 8, 1 through 8 in the New International Version. Previously on Acts, we remember the Hellenist leader, uh, Stephen, ends up preaching um, in the synagogue uh, where there were Hellenist priests and they would argue with them. Um, but he spoke about Jesus Christ and his resurrection and they were so upset by this that they dragged him to Jerusalem to the council where he is held on trial and ultimately uh, a mob came, took him away um, in a riotous scene, they stoned him outside of the city, um, and he was Stephen ended up being the first martyr here in Acts, um, dying for his faith. And um, that's where we find ourselves in chapter eight. Also in that in that scene of Stephen being um, stoned, uh, we learn of a young man named Saul. It says that the people who are throwing stones at Stephen took off their robes so they could throw things better, throw their rocks better, and laid them at the feet of a young man named Saul. And so at the top of our chapter, chapter 8, verse 1, once again, Luke references Saul. And Saul approved of their killing him. Saul approved of their killing him. And so from verse 1, I can glean some things that tell me, tell us a little bit about Saul. Well, verse 1 tells us that Saul is more than a bystander, but someone who actually has stature. People are laying their robes at the feet of Saul, not because he's like, you know, the coat boy, you know, hanging up people's coats and serving them, but because uh, it is a, a show of respect. Like, here you go. You are the person of honor here. We're going to go stone Stephen. Um, but also, it shows that he's someone of authority, um, because it says he approved of it, right? Not just that, oh, I liked it that this lynching happened, that this execution happened. I, I liked it. I, I, I agree with it. It's more he approved. He had the authority to approve of this, that it was kind of enough. Although it was an official execution because those who were stoned back in those days were not allowed to be buried. But later in this chapter, we learned that uh, uh, godly men buried, ended up burying Stephen. So this was not an official stoning or execution, but it was something that resulted from a riot. 
Um, so though it was a riot, though it was a lynching and not an ex official ex execution, Saul, who was a man of some stature, right, and a Pharisee, approves of this killing. So that's one. After Stephen's death, a great persecution rose up against the church in Jerusalem. And somehow there's a scattering. And what I can glean from this scattering is um, that the apostles weren't scattered. They remained in Jerusalem. And everyone else was scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. But then we learned that godly men buried Stephen um, and mourned for him. And at the same time, Saul went from church house to house in Jerusalem and carried both men and women into prison. So the question is, if all the disciples, if all the believers were scattered except for the apostles, how are there people remaining in Jerusalem to bury Stephen? Or who are these people um, in different houses that Saul is going from house to house persecuting and dragging them off to prison? So it seems like it's not everyone who was scattered. And so there's, the, um, I think one explanation is to say that it was, it was a specific persecution against Hellenist Christians that arose in the church, right? We remember it was Stephen arguing with Hellenist Jews in the synagogue of the freemen that started the initial conflict. Right? Because Stephen was a Hellenist deacon and he began preaching the gospels and saying the same things that the apostles were saying and preaching the same things about Jesus Christ and his resurrection and new life in Jesus as the apostles were preaching. And it was specifically the Hellenist priest, those of Greek culture, just like Stephen, who were most upset with what Stephen was talking about. Our, our, an explanation for why they're ex upset is that perhaps the Hellenists in Jerusalem worked extra hard to prove that they belonged in Judaism, belonged in this world of um, Hebraic Jews, that they too were Orthodox Jews, that they too were worthy, that they too were pure enough. And so to hear Hellenists who were becoming Christians and speaking this heresy made them look bad. They're like, we're trying to become legit, right? In this culture, in Jerusalem, right? In this faith. And here you go, our people, Hellenists, becoming Christian and speaking heresy. So their natural reaction is to want to snuff it out, right? You're making us look bad. And so that's reason one. Reason two is Saul himself is from Tarsus, we'll learn later. And Tarsus is in Sicilia, which is one of the countries mentioned about uh, the, the priests in the synagogue of the freemen were from these areas outside of Jerusalem, which were Hellenist territories. Saul is from one of them. So it is this, this killing of Stephen and this persecution is coming from Hellenist Jews, from the synagogues. 
And perhaps Saul is one of them and leading this. And so those who were scattered may actually have been the Hellenist Jews, whereas the Hebraic Jews remained in Jerusalem. So if we take that, we read, On that day a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all the Hellenist Jews were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. They're sent back probably to their hometowns or where their roots were except for the apostles, except for the apostles, parentheses, and the other Hebraic Jews who were from Jerusalem. And those, some of those Hebraic Jews who remained in Jerusalem, including the apostles, godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him there. And Saul began to destroy the church going from home to home in Jerusalem. He dragged off both men and women, which we'll get to later, and put them in prison. And then verse four, but the Hellenist Jews, the Hellenist Christians who had been scattered began to preach the word wherever they went. I like this take. It makes sense. It, make, it makes sense. It helps us understand the verses in context. And it shows us more. It shows us how amazing this plan of the Holy Spirit to move the gospel out. And according to Jesus's words, remember in Acts 1, 8, you will go, you will preach the gospel in Jerusalem to Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. We're starting now to pivot, to shift from Jerusalem. The story is shifting away from Jerusalem and we're going actually right here from in Judea, other parts of Judea, and on to Samaria, and it's these Hellenist Jews, Hellenist Jews who become Christian that are being are the ones scattered. But this scattering is actually becoming the vehicle by which the Holy Spirit is making the gospel go expand out to Judea, to Judea and Samaria. Are you with me, Church? Right? So the apostles were wrong or they, they didn't see, had the whole picture of what the Holy Spirit was up to and what the Holy Spirit was going to do. But the apostles assumed that only they were the ones who would be preaching the gospel. Only they were the ones who had the authority to teach and preach and do wonders. And when they uh, appointed and anointed the the seven Hellenists um, to run the food bank, they weren't thinking, oh, these guys, these Greek guys, they're also going to be preaching, right? And doing wonders and works. They're going to be like us apostles. They weren't thinking that. They just thought they were going to help administer the food bank. But in these next chapters, we're seeing it's all about the Hellenists, right? It's all about Stephen preaching and being martyred for it. And we're going to see Philip later in this chapter preaching. I wish we had, you know, I wish we had more um, names, specific names of who were the people that were scattered and doing these preaching, this preaching and teaching and doing wonders and works. 
um, and spreading the gospel in Judea and other parts of Samaria. We learn that this first Christian kind of thrust, this thr- Christian mission um, was extended to Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch. You can read uh, chapter 11, verse 19 for those geographies. But needless to say, Hellenist Christians are being scattered. And they're just not being, when they scattered, they're just not hiding. They're not, they're not losing their faith or disappearing or kind of laying low on the DL. They're actually preaching the word wherever they go. And then we learn specifically about Philip, who was one of the seven, who goes down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Messiah there. And crowds, just like Stephen, just like the Peter and John, when the preaching of an apostle happens and the spirit is moving, the crowds come and surround Philip because they see all of the signs that he's performing, right? And the good works and there's the power of the spirit is moving. The lame are walking, the blind are seeing, spirits are being cast out of people who have been chained and imprisoned all their life with spiritual darkness. They're being freed. Can you imagine that? Darkness is being lifted in the power and the name of Jesus Christ, the resurrected one. And it says they all paid close attention to what he said. Philip is preaching and doing good deeds with authority, right? Philip has gone outside of the safety net of Jerusalem, outside of the religious center, outside of the temple, outside of the synagogues. He's gone to Samaria. He's, and he's preaching wherever. He's going to Red Square, right? At University of Washington. He's going to Capitol Hill on the streets and preaching. And people are listening. They're respecting him. They're giving him authority. Right? He's going to Pioneer Square in downtown Seattle. He's coming here to North Point and Linwood, to Alderwood Mall, up north, the east side, everywhere he can go in Samaria. And he's preaching the good news and doing good works. And the shrieks of impure spirits coming out of many who were paralyzed or lame, and those who were lame were uh, paralyzed were healed. But the shrieks of impure spirits coming out are replaced by verse 8 great joy in that city. Great joy. The Holy Spirit is moving quickly, folks, here in Acts. The apostles were wrong in thinking they were the only ones who could preach. The Hellenist Christians take center stage in moving the gospel good news geographically outward as Jesus had predicted. And what can we learn from this? Because we need to learn and apply the scripture. And one thing I want to say to us as a church and as Christians and followers, we need to hold our structures our traditions loosely. Sometimes in the church, our structures and our traditions, they become gospel to us. 
and we can't let go of them. We've always done that picnic at that park on that Sunday in that month. We've always done this outreach. We've always done it this way. We've always had these, this family lead this thing. We've always had these leaders do this thing. We've always done it this way. But we need to heal, hold our traditions loosely because they're not the gospel. They're not the spirit. Because any moment, structures are just there to help us. Right? It's to help us to understand the presence of God. To help us move with the spirit and kind of experience the spirit. But they aren't God. They aren't the spirit themselves. A spirit-led church is always listening. Always discerning where the spirit is moving now. Where is the spirit going now? What's happening now? And clearly men like Stephen and Philip were not merely administrators of the food bank. The spirit had a bigger plan. They were actually becoming the main characters of this mission to push the gospel beyond Jerusalem. Amen? They were becoming the main characters along with other Hellenist Christians in this mission of, expand, of expanding the church beyond Jerusalem to Judea and Samaria. So Luke is actually pivoting here. In Acts, he's pivoting, right? Luke could have stayed in Jerusalem. We learn more about the establishment of the Jerusalem church and the, how they dealt with persecution and what was happening, right? But Luke pivots here because the narrative is taking uh, a shift and the focus is pivoting to the ministry beyond Jerusalem into Samaria and then further on among the Gentiles. The spirit is pivoting and the church is beginning to pivot. And we need to continue to consider how this applies to us today, the church today. And I'm saying we need to pivot. You know, I was, my sister has been visiting this week and um, she was talking about um, the industry that she's in, her, her work. And she's talking about on their team how they talked about the need to pivot. And I was like, wait a second. In our church meetings and our meetings with other pastors about uh, how to do church in these pandemic days, we say the same thing, pivot. Like, how are we going to pivot? How are we going to adapt? Right? Everyone needs to pivot. And, if, and we're like, yeah, right? And we are having a good time connecting and the truth of the matter is, is that every industry, every company, every or, or most organizations are asking the same questions in their team meetings, in their board meetings, in their planning times. They're asking these questions. And I'll give you two questions. What will be the new normal even after the pandemic is over? Everyone's asking that. You hear new normal on the news, new normal, new normal. What's the new normal? We're all trying to find the new normal, right? What have we, what habits have we picked up or what kind of procedures have we picked up or what elements have we picked up because of COVID-19 that after COVID-19, we're going to retain, we're going to hold because it works. 
So for instance, in the tech industry, many people, they're closing their buildings and just telling people work from home, right? Even after COVID, they're realizing, oh, this is saving us money. So maybe from now on in the tech industry, people are gonna just work from home forever. You know, every, it'll be the new normal to work from home. So that's one, what is the new normal? Number two, from the new normal, figuring out what the new normal is, how do we need to pivot in order to survive, not just survive, but thrive in the new reality? So for companies, how are we gonna thrive? How, what do we need, how do we need to pivot to thrive in the new normal, right? Keep making money, keep our bottom line to survive. And churches are like, oh man, this is a new reality. We've had to have our churches close and stream, right? Our services. And some of us are asking, even when we do come back together, like, what are the things that we should drop that we were doing before that's just not gonna, that wasn't working and won't work anymore? And what are the new things we've learned and picked up as we've been negotiating these new waters that has worked and will continue to reach people in new ways and more effective ways? That's what it means to pivot. And so I say all that here because as the Holy Spirit is pivoting, away from Jerusalem and to a new people set, right? A new type of leader, the Hellenist Christian, right? How do we need to discern and pivot? Who are maybe the leaders that God is raising up in our midst that we didn't expect, right? I'm sure many of the church other churches out there when you were like oh crap we need to do a stream on Facebook and stream it live onto YouTube and negotiate zoom a lot of pastors were like I don't know what to do and who stepped up in your church young right youth college students young adults who are all tech savvy video savvy all of a sudden they emerge and they're like got all of these skills, right? They have a lot of knowledge of how to connect with the wider world, the cyber world, how to network, how to do audio visual. That's the type of stuff we're talking about. And that's what it must've been like for the, this new church in Jerusalem to see the spirit start to move and work through these Hellenists. And for the God, for what we're going to see, people becoming Christian who live in Samaria, Gentiles becoming Christian, like, whoa, what's going on? How do you need to pivot in your life? What is something new the Spirit has been urging you personally to do? What? What have you been doing for a long time that you need to let go of and look at the world, look at your relationship with Jesus, look at um, the relationships with people around you differently. Approach them with new eyes, new methods, new paradigms, 
new maps. Sit in that question today. And secondly and finally, joy. Joy. The church has been scattered. There's a crazy guy named Saul who's knocking down doors and chasing people down to throw them in prison. Right? He wants to, it says, he's destroying the church. Saul wants to destroy the church. And imagine that you're on the run. You're being persecuted. You've been cast out of the city. And you're wandering. Right? And your response to all of this is joy. Joy goes throughout the city. Wherever you're going, you're preaching the gospel. You're telling them good news. Even though you're suffering, even though you're away from home, even though you're unsettled, even though you're in exile, remember. There's joy because this is how the kingdom of heaven works. Remember the parable of the sower and the seed that Jesus tells. The kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of my father is like a sower who takes some seed and he throws it all around. He throws it all around. He doesn't care. He just throws it. He scatters it. But guess what? These scattered seed, they land. And yes, some don't grow up. Some get choked out. Some don't have enough soil to get deep roots. But these a lot of these scattered seed grow up. They take root and they become healthy plants. And this is what we see. The strategy of the Holy Spirit is to pivot and actually end the suffering of the scattered, right? That through the evil actions of persecution upon a people who then become scattered, this actually becomes a blessing. This scattering becomes how that mission of going to Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth begins to take root. Those that were cast out begin are the inceptions, are the seeds of the new thing that God is actually doing. Amen? And there are times you may feel scattered. You may feel lost. You may feel that God has forgotten you. That you're not doing the thing you're supposed to be doing. That all of your hopes and dreams have been dashed. And you're like, what the heck is going on? I don't know what I'm doing with my life. I feel forgotten, abandoned, rejected, scattered. But guess what? The Holy Spirit is moving. You could be a part of this amazing miracle where when you're scattered out, that actually your life begins to take root where you landed. And something beautiful and new is born again. Amen, church? Woo! scattered and we see that this is the heart of God right again to make a connection with Babel right they built a tower hoping to go rise up to God at Babel God strikes them and confuses their languages actually mixes their languages and scatters the people out but this was his intent 
in the first place. God's desire was for people to scatter, to be fruitful and to multiply, not to come into one place. And it's the same in Jerusalem and the same with this people that he's rebirthing through in the name of Jesus Christ. He's scattering a certain amount of people, scattering seed so that the gospel can be fruitful and multiply to the ends of the earth. Amen. And this should always be our posture, church. What is the Holy Spirit doing to break apart our clubs, break apart our cliques, break apart our country clubs, right? Our holy clubs and scatter us to do something new, to plant us in a new place. And as we negotiate this pandemic and try to figure out what's the new normal, what is God doing? After all of this, what is ministry gonna look like? How do we need to pivot? Let's listen for the Holy Spirit. Instead of holding on to the same structures, the same things in the past, let us look to the future and be sensitive to the Holy Spirit. That's not static or stagnant, but is moving and alive and wanting to do something new. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for your son and his sacrifice, his blood shed, his body broken for the world. And thank you for new life in him as he was risen, is risen and resurrected. We rise with Christ and we move forward in the Holy Spirit, not following a dead, an inanimate idol or not following uh, law etched into stone, but being sensitive to the real voice of the Holy Spirit, urging us, moving us as the church, telling us we need to pivot. We need to look for the new thing that you're doing. What is that thing? Where are you scattering us to and where do we need to, to plant ourselves and take root and live out your gospel so that your gospel can go further out and be good news to all. Help us to be faithful. Help us to discern together this and the days to come. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.